I fundamentally believe that as society, the next epoch of opportunities for technology is to digitize, enhance, support, transform the physical world, physical goods, physical industries. I'm Carl Siebrecht. I'm Jordan Lawrence. And I'm Mike Swenson, and this is the Logistics Leadership Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's great to be with you again here on the Logistics Leadership Podcast. Jordan, as always, great to see you. Great to be with you, as always. Really looking forward to the conversation today. And I'd also like to introduce Mike Swenson. Mike, it's great to have you join us as well. Pleasure to be here. You know, on most of our episodes to date, we have talked about the warehousing piece of logistics, and we have focused on how the consumer is one of the big drivers of that. Um, we have talked about uh, logistics, broadly speaking, in terms of consumers, costs, carbon as being the main drivers of how to think about uh, innovation in supply chains and logistics networks. But we haven't talked very much yet about the arcs in the network. So the transportation lanes that connect all the dots on our map, all the warehouses out there. So we wanted to expand our conversation to include that and talk about freight. And to do that, I'm going to speak with one of the great innovators in logistics, the founder and CEO of Uber Freight, Lior Ron. So let's go have that conversation. And then Mike and Jordan will meet back here to talk through uh, some of the ideas that he shared. Hi, Lior. It's great to see you again. Thank you for joining me today for this conversation. I'm super excited for it. Thanks for having me, Carl. Excited to engage in this conversation. Wonderful. Would it be okay if you just tell me a little bit about your background to set some context? Of course. Yeah, I'm Lior, right now CEO and founder of Uber Freight and a geek at heart. I've been doing technology for the past 25 years. I had the pleasure of starting my career in uh, Israel and helping the Israeli intelligence develop a bunch of cool systems and then moved to the States and had uh, really an honor to uh, spend five years leading product for Google Maps and really had that experience of digitizing a vast physical infrastructure with now over uh, billions of users uh, globally and hundreds of countries. And the road led me about seven years ago as I was doing my walkabout to take a look at logistics and thought I can help do something as a technologist about uh, digitizing logistics. And that led me to uh, start Uber Freight. That's wonderful. I would love to dig into that and just get your perspective on the compare and contrast of digitization in logistics versus maps and the other sectors and product areas you've been in across your career? What's the compare and contrast? I think it's a fascinating question. And I start with all the similarities that, uh, to be honest, uh, what partially inspired me to start Uber Freight. I fundamentally believe that as society, the next epoch of opportunities for technology is to digitize, enhance, support, transform the physical world, physical goods, physical industries. And I, I had first sit to that while we built Google Maps when I joined 
we had two million users in two countries, UK and the US. There was nothing else on the map. And just getting first seat of, let's transform this physical first industries, paper maps, you remember the good old days, trying to navigate in an unfamiliar city or territory without much sort of beside paper maps and paper books. And let's put this huge digital infrastructure in place to allow us to move to a digital first reality of mapping globally. Let's uh, put satellite data, let's put street view cars, let's map every street in every city globally. It's a huge technical challenge and just being able to be part of that was very interesting because then what you get is a digital infrastructure for businesses like Uber or like the many other businesses that were built on top of that digital layer of mapping, those are enabled. Same in logistics. You take a, a very physical first, very analog industry, and if we put, it's not just Uber, it's, it's Uber and Flex and everyone else, putting this digital infrastructure in place, then life can be more efficient, more connected, and a bunch of innovation can happen on top of that digital layer. So I think that's a very strong similarity for sure i think the uh, one dissimilarity i will choose is just how fragmented is supply chain and how much energy it takes to boil this ocean of digital infrastructure and it takes a village to be able to do that but it's a long process and that's going to take multi-decades i think to fully be in place in terms of a societal infrastructure. And that's why I think we need to take the long-term perspective here on the investment needed and the opportunities that that will entail over time. Yes, I love that comparison. You know, it occurs to me while I'm listening to you is that one of the other differences is with logistics, all of your customers, all of the service providers out there, there's infrastructure, there's technology already in place. And the new innovations have to figure out how to plug into that existing infrastructure. At the same time, it is trying to help innovate and advance the digital sort of architecture. Yes, this is much more about uh, replacing the engines mid-flight. Yes. Because our respective customers have a business to run. Uh, and it's much more complicated to like replace that engine from an enterprise B2B perspective that, than to offer a superior experience for consumers. Right. Great. So let's let's double click into the transportation part of the logistics world here a little bit. Start with a very kind of generic question for you. What do you see as the top trends or dynamics in the transportation industry today? I think the system as a whole is still sort of in recovery mode from what was the la- the biggest shock to global supply chain in history. And I think the trends coming out of that still persist. One is really making sure that the system, the supply chain is resilient. So there's not one point of a failure or it's not like a unisourced on one supplier that can fail or it there's no sort of critical inventory levels in the system that might be a bottleneck. So I think this was a big wake-up call for everyone to realize that the amount of planning and uh, thoughtfulness you need to put to make sure you have a resilient supply chain that is ready 
for any sort of shock up and down in terms of demand is, is key. So I, I think we're still seeing a lot of that. The other trend that uh, we clearly see is some of the reasons for that um, challenge in terms of resiliency is fragmentation. Right. And still continues to be the case where a lot of supply chains are extremely fragmented in terms of supply base, in terms of geo footprint, uh, in terms of the IT systems and the tech systems involved in managing the supply chain stack. And a very clear trend we are seeing is towards consolidation. The supply chain professional supply chains want trusted providers they can rely on. They want less complexity to deal with so they can focus on their main business versus piecing all of this together internally. And that does lead to more and more focus on bringing suppliers that can aggregate and connect those systems. And we see that on our side for mobile freight uh, with a lot of momentum on the TMS side and people getting more and more thoughtful and aware of what a transportation management system can do, can help uh, to their operation. I guess the, the, the last trend I'll mention is the continuous uh, nearshoring. Uh, again, back to uh, resiliency, we have a large uh, footprint in Mexico and we see a lot of momentum of people moving and diversifying the supply chains away from Asia and putting some of that in Mexico and other uh, markets. And uh, as a result, we see a surge uh, in terms of nearshoring activity as well. So those would be just some of the trends that we're seeing yep. with the thousands of customers that we talk with today. That's great. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about digitization and uh, uh, let's together try to bring that to life and make it make it real. What are the benefits, like just the poor basic business benefits from digitization? And I, um, I won't try to lead the witness here. I know you've got your point of view, but you have talked about um, the fragmentation of the industry. Certainly, digitization can help that. But, but you know, from a shipper perspective, from a CEO or CFO's perspective of a Fortune 100. In the end of the day, from a CEO or COO or SVP of supply chain perspective, the supply chain is there to serve their customer needs and to do that in a cost-effective and service-effective way. And uh, digitization can help accelerate cost savings and uh, increased efficiency and improve service and resiliency for customers. And at the end of the day, that's what uh, C-level folks want out of their supply chain. Make sure the service is there and we can excel for our customers and do that in the most cost-effective way. And I think the way digitization helps with that, first of all, on the service side, uh, digitizing something means transparency means everything is connected, means information can move in the speed of light, not in the speed of people, and that allows shippers and customers to make informed choices to understand what's happening with the supply chain and not only have the visibility, but then act on those disruptions, on those status of supply chain much more uh, intelligently and make sure that everyone, the suppliers, the receivers, the customers, the B2B partners that supply chain is serving is seeing the same picture 
can close the loop end to end and can just act on that faster. And that just leads to better predictability, better service levels, and better customer satisfaction, whether it's a B2B customer or an end customer. The, the, the other uh, advantage is if you create that connective tissue, if everything is connected, then you can really unlock the next level of uh, efficiency. And, and to just name just few examples that uh, we are seeing uh, on our side, everything from we now have 2 million truck drivers on the network, so every other truck driver in the U.S., once you as a shipper can tap into the long tail of basically every carrier in the marketplace instantly, the, the amount of pricing advantage, the amount of a, a cost discovery, the amount of a, a competitiveness in your supply chain uh, grows to no end. The other benefit is we can start planning things more efficiently. So we just published a, a big sustainability study and we've done sort of a very full exam of what is the amount of empty miles in the industry and our number will be actually at the 30 35 percent so a third of all truck drive of all trucks mileage that are out there that we see driving next to us on the highway are empty which is insane if you digitize if you connect then we can start discovering the empty miles and get them out of the system and a fine loads for those backhauls and design the supply chain to be much more effective. Case in point, now that we deploy the system to 2 million truck drivers, we can cut half of those empty miles. So an average truck driver on our network is only 15% empty, Amazing. not 30% empty. Increased efficiency and waste coming out of the system, which leads to decreased cost. Super clear. And I love that example. You know, <clears throat> similarly, we've done uh, and regularly do surveys of warehouse operators to understand what is the actual utilization of your buildings. It turns out there's in the neighborhood of 20 to 25% underutilized capacity out there. Wow. You know, if you had your, uh, you know, eye in the sky that could look uh, underneath the roofs of all these buildings, you'd see about 20 to 25% empty capacity and it's for a lot of the exact same reasons uh, that you described uh, in the uh, in the freight industry as well wow digitization first thing it creates transparency as a shipper as a customer you actually know maybe for the first time oh i have actually 30 percent empty miles on my network 25 of my warehouses are actually empty okay now let's act on that because we can actually act on that because this is more now becomes a bit more of a software data science actionable data problem we can act to if everything is connected and digitized and for me that's the exciting next decade i think back to the maps analogy a lot of the last few years let's say the last decade was let's digitize let's connect every truck let's connect every asset let's get into every warehouse let's connect visibility all of that fun stuff. Yes. But that's just a precondition to now, okay, move to an era of action, of actionable insights, of progress now from the data on how can we start actually moving those KPIs and leveraging all of that richness of insights and a new wealth of data that yep. we now have to offer. Yes, it's a precondition. I, I love that term. And we think of it uh, that way as well. Once this is all connected in a network that can be transparent, um, then you have the physical infrastructure 
in a more efficient way to move goods around. Only then can you build intelligence layers on top to really understand how to change your actions in the physical world uh, because you've got full visibility of a very, very broad network. You know, one of the other things that I've, I find curious, or not curious, but very, uh, it's a critical element of the industry that creates some barriers is for the most part, big companies each build their own networks. They decide where the nodes and arcs of their networks are. They pick where their warehouse locations are. They pick uh, which transportation lanes they want to turn on. And every company is doing that same thing. So you basically have this overlay of thousands of networks all sitting on top of each other, but for the most part, not connected. Right? I think that's another way to, to bring to life what you were saying earlier about the fragmentation. And uh, to get to a more optimized view, it sort of implies, or, or maybe literally implies, that there is more shared infrastructure across these big shippers. Um, what's what's been your observation over the years you've been in the industry about the willingness or excitement to share infrastructure? Is there still some hesitation? I kind of want my own infrastructure because you know it's special to me and I want full control. Or have you seen an increased willingness to to share infrastructure? Uh, I think that question is in the heart of transformation, and. Um, I think this industry is going through a massive transformation that is enabled by data and technology where when I don't have the data, when things are not connected and I want to ensure an outcome, of course, I'll choose to own my destiny, to have my own network, to have full control on my own decisions. And as such, I'll be a bit reluctant to uh, give that away. Mm-hmm. Once everything is digitized and connected, again, as a precondition, then we can create the trust with those customers. And if we can create the trust, then I think we can show the outcome, the savings. And if that's coupled with enough trust, well, not only I'm getting the savings, but also I can trust the outcome and still have control of the outcome and not deteriorate what I'm trying to do. That opens the path uh, to share and care and share those uh, resources. We've seen this trend in almost every industry under the sun, right? The same journey has happened over the last two decades in uh, information technology and servers where everybody used to own their own data store and their own server farm. And slowly but surely, and it took more than a decade, Uh, there was enough trust in cloud compute to be able to, okay, I don't have to own it. I can basically just share that and and, and use that um, uh, shared infrastructure. I think the same is happening now uh, on transportation. The same happened with Uber. I need to own the car. I need to own my fleet, but now I have enough trust at Uber as this like connective trusted issue. I, I know that if I need an Uber, Something will come up in a few minutes. I don't need to own it. I can basically tap to that on demand. And I think the same is happening on transportation, but uh, it's on us, I think, to create that level of trust with those shippers. And from my experience, if we create that trust, they are coming. And that's the essence of of what we're trying to do in Uber Freight. Last stat on that, we now managed 
20 billion dollar of freight under management and almost the sole purpose of aggregating all of that freight together is so we can go back and offer shippers and, and supply chain decision makers ways they can benefit by tapping into the overall pool of freight versus managing their own stuff because the reality of this industry as we know I mean the second you go even below a Walmart, Even if you're a huge shipper controlling billions of dollars of freight, you are still a drop and you're still a subscale and you cannot benefit from what a much larger network can bring to bear. Let's shift gears a little bit. There's been a lot of press for the past few years about a shortage in truck drivers. How do you think about that problem? as it relates to the opportunity for driving more digital infrastructure going forward? Yeah, shortage is, uh, of truck driving uh, is one of the biggest issues I think facing us as an industry. Uh, if you just zoom out and look at the stats, the average age of a truck driver in the U.S. was 35 20 years ago. It was 45 10 years ago. It's 55 now. It's the same baby boomers basically aging out of the industry. And it's just a job that young people don't want to do as much. Long hours, random facilities, not a great lifestyle, no ability to actually build a family. And as a result, I think we're facing a chronic shortage of truck drivers. And that's in parallel for us as consumers, ordering more and more and more stuff to our doorsteps. And as we know, there's a truck behind every one of those packages. So that's, that, that's an existential issue facing the industry. Uh, I think on our side and digitization at large, the first thing it can help with is you don't need new truck drivers. You just need to make life for the existing truck drivers easier so they can be more efficient, so they can run more loaded miles than empty miles. And we spoke about The 35 percent empty miles and the reality of that is if I'm if, if I took a shipment from Long Beach to Dallas I'm gonna run empty a hundred a hundred fifty miles getting to some other place in Texas so I can have a load back to Long Beach but if in the app I can connect to 20 billion dollar of opportunities and if the algorithm can automatically suggest hey here's a load for you five minutes away I then that's all efficiency back into the system and driving hours we can basically add to the system in terms of capacity. Uh, if we can do something, and I think, uh, Carl, that's a great segue for some of the joint topics that we can discuss between warehousing and transportation. If we can do something about the crazy, long, idle time in facilities, because I think many... Um, uninformed listeners might think that truck drivings are, are wasting their time in, stuck in traffic jams. But no, the reality of, I mean, theoretically, they can drive seven, eight hours a day. In reality, they drive maybe four hours a day because the rest of their time, they're just waiting to be loaded and unloaded in facility, idling their engine, adding carbon to the environment, not being paid and sort of blocking the, The entire supply chain in those facilities so there's a huge opportunity to improve the in and out time the utilization of those uh, warehouses and facilities and as a result 
you don't need more truck drivers. You need to make the existing day of those 4 million brave truck drivers in the US 10, 20% more efficient, and you solved it. And digitization is the key to be able to do that. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And that same digitization is one of the big limiters uh, on the warehousing side for why there are those long dwell times. Um, there's not enough clarity in what loads are showing up when to which doctor um, to to uh, more efficiently staff and focus labor on the inside of the four walls. And I'll give you a concrete example of that. I think speaks to the power of what we can do together as a facility warehouse provider and a transportation provider. Those truck drivers, I mean, their life is that a facility experience and they have so much feedback and views to share. We've launched a simple feature about uh, two years ago or three years ago now, allowing them to just rate their facility experience. Mm-hmm. The same way that you can rate your Uber driver, we sort of turn the power to them Hey, dear truck driver, just rate your facility experience, one to five. Now, back to maps. I've used to run Google Maps. Uh, As consumers, uh, we left, when I've had a restaurant review uh, product, we left reviews on 0.5% of our restaurant visits. 0.5% ended up review. We gave that experience to truck drivers. Well, 50% of facility visits end up with an explicit rating and a blurb of text or feedback to the facility on what can they do better. 50% of visits. They are so hungry for their voice to be heard and to provide feedback to those facilities on what can they do better. Now we have like 5 million of those facility reviews. We can aggregate, make sense of them, turn around, show that to the warehouse, to the shipper, and together... Uh, find a way to improve life for those truck drivers, whether it's in and out, whether it's the, the where the doors are at, driving instruction to that facility, dwell time, and all of that back to transparency and digitization is data that those shippers just did not have before. They did not have any way to collect all of the data at scale. Uh, so it's for the first time demystifying that black box for shippers and not only that, back to visibility step one, Action is step two, then providing them actionable stuff they can do in the facility to improve the situation. And back to what digitization allows you to do, decrease costs. We can show them, hey, if you move your facility from a 4.1 star rating to a 4.3 star rating by doing those five things, that will result in $17 per shipment reduction in costs coming in and out of your facility because you'll be a shipper of choice and truck drivers want to go to your facility more. And we can quantify for the first time in history that for them. If you do that, $15 reduction in transportation costs. So again, just an anecdote, but super important, I think, for what digitization can unlock. Very compelling. So I want to come back to um, what some of the blockers are, some of the barriers are to continuing the digitization journey in the freight business. So, so you run a big business, $20 billion of freight under management. The freight industry in total in the U.S. is what, maybe $600 billion, $700 now, some, something on that order of magnitude. And is it ever going to get to sort of, hey, 50% of this freight uh, is all sort of visible inside 
one or maybe multiple systems that are connected to each other? You know, how do you get from tens of billions to hundreds of billions? What are the blockers? One is getting shippers over that hump of psychologically, I'm in full control. If I outsource or if I connect, I'm in less control and showing them all the ways they can trust and, and, and get efficiency and value out of moving to a system. The second thing I will mention is, and something we're very passionate about, is democratizing access to everyone in the supply chain. Because when we talk about this like big number, 800 or 700 billion dollar in the US, some of it was, uh, let's say, what, 200, 300 billion is with the big enterprise, sophisticated shippers, there's a very long tail of two, three, four hundred billion with those mid-market and small customers that are maybe less sophisticated or just don't have the supply chain manpower to put uh, on uh, supply chain issues and to actually connect them and to bring them along to the digital journey. That requires next level of effort. You need to meet them where they are. You need to really sort of like ramping up to the platform. And I think that's something we focus on. How do we tap into the long tail and the smaller yes. uh, businesses? But that requires a, a lot of effort and uh, just a lot of ways to actually reach those customers. Right. So what advice do you have for maybe it's a mid-market shipper or an enterprise at the smaller end of the spectrum who hasn't yet made much progress on the digitization journey themselves for a lot of the reasons you've talked about. You know, they've got existing systems in place. There are costs to doing a new integration. There is some risk about potentially losing control. What advice do you have for a shipper like that to get started? Is there an entry point? Is there a way to get started where they can benefit from some learnings, test and learn in part of their business to get a feel for what the value might be? Yeah, I think my advice is, uh, first and foremost, um, make it a priority. And Mm -hmm. uh, if it's not a priority like anything else, it's not going to happen. And it's just so easy to be drawn to the day-to-day. And especially in logistics, it's constant firefighting. There's always something pressing. There's always something that needs to happen now. But the reality is if you don't put some of that infrastructure that doesn't actually necessarily mean investment. Like some people are scared, oh, I need to invest uh, this amount of dollars or that amount of dollars. Like you can do things in a pretty cost-effective way with a pretty fast ROI uh, cycle, but you have to make this a priority for your organization to start uh, uh, reaping the benefits because the reality, if you don't, your competitors are, and that will over time be a competitive disadvantage to you um, so it's both offense and defense. So first thing, like, you know, pay attention, make it a priority. Then you need someone that can walk you through that journey and educate and, and be sort of the pivot point uh, in the organization. That could be you, meaning that could be someone in-house. If you hi- if you want to hire the expertise, if you have the a, a talent base, if you're willing to invest uh, um, in-house, or that could be someone... On the outside, like a trusted vendor of some fantastic partners out there, two of them are on this call, whether it's a Flex or Uber Freight, but someone you can trust that can start helping you on that journey uh, and really sort of strategize 
what are the opportunities ahead. And somewhere in between making it a priority and choosing a vendor or not is uh, connect with the peer community. There's so much learning one can have from connecting with the community and other decision makers and there's fantastic uh, conferences out there uh, for everyone, regardless of digitization or not in supply chain. I think it takes a village. So connecting with like-minded professionals that have sort of walked through the journey in between making the priority, connecting with others and just like potentially partnering with partners, then you get to start having a lay of the land of what are the big opportunities that digitization will unlock and what are the initial priorities you want to go about in uh, doing that. And once you have a bit of a picture of what are the priorities, then to your point, you can either choose to go all for it and sort of like uh, uh, make a strategic move to partner with someone, or you can like sort of like uh, tip your toe in the water and do a pilot on some facility or some system to just get the initial learnings and initial benefits. The last thing I would say is uh, always bring your organization to the journey by showing them the benefits, by involving them in the conversation, by inviting them to the meetings or by helping crystallize to them what is the ROI and what are the benefits your internal stakeholders will get from that digitization journey. And again, uh, peers can help with that or providers can help with that, but it's very important to keep those internal stakeholders along for the journey as well. Because it'll be a lot of work for them as well, uh, a lot of learning and, you know, you get them to see some of the benefits and get them recruited into the team. That'll go a long way. Exactly that. You know, we've each been doing this for a bit of time. Uh, Flex is having our 10th anniversary uh, next month. Happy anniversary. Yeah, we've seen uh, a lot of change Um, at times. It feels like the change has been slower than we would have imagined it should have been. But then the deeper you get into the business, you understand it's what you said earlier. It's look, look, you know, there's infrastructure that's already operating. You know, the train's moving down the track. And I think there is no lack of desire uh, on the part of our, our warehouse partners and our customers um, to want to uh, be more innovative, to drive more aggressively. Um, but there are very real practical challenges uh, with that. And, and namely, it's the existing businesses that they're running, the existing infrastructure that they're running their businesses on. And I'll add one advice to build on that and to summarize, connecting to some um of the things we spoke about, every change, especially as we discussed, B2B change takes time. And if you look at the shape of every technology change in any industry, it's initially slow moving, slow and sure. People understand how the technology can be deployed. People understand the insights. The early adopters uh, uh, start to understand the implications. And then there's an inflection point where within, it looks like in hindsight, almost a day, things start to exponentially take place. And I do think on various elements of the digitization movement in logistics, some things are fully inflicting, like we're seeing record activity in terms of people that want to join that Uber Freight network, but some things are slow and steady and takes time. My advice, back to uh, your question, my advice for everyone is, regardless if you are adopting fully now or not, you need to be in the game and just understand what is going on so you can actually have a point of view and you can actually plan ahead 
whether it's autonomy. We have, you know, now dozens of shippers that want to move, move those autonomous loads because that's going to impact not now, not in five years, but in 10 years, the shape of the supply chain and distribution centers is going to fully transform by autonomy. Well, you kind of want to be on the ground floor initially to understand sort of what will be the impact. And we can give many more examples, but I think the advice is better early to understand the, the magnitude of the change and how will it impact you. That will put you in a position to then benefit as things mature and as more and more people adopt that. Lior, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, I've learned a lot and it's been just more than anything else, super energizing. Uh, wonderful to speak with you. Thank you again for joining us here, and I look forward to continuing this conversation with you. Thank you for having me, Carl. Excited about this platform. Energized from always from comparing notes uh, from you as well. Looking forward to continue the conversation on and off the record. Okay, guys. Well, that was something. Lior has a ton of breadth and range of perspectives, and he's also got the depth, too. Yeah, Lior is a, a fascinating guy, and there was uh, so much interesting that was said in this conversation. I um, mean, you know, one of the real basic points that was raised around that inefficiency, the 30% of all miles uh, being empty in the transportation space. And just when we really look at it, we have applied all these digital layers, and Lior talked a whole lot about digitization and what that means. But really, to me, what, what Lior highlighted and what I absolutely agree with is that digitization at the end of the day uh, for providers is about matching supply and demand in a seamless way. And that when you look either uh, with the statistic you brought up, Carl, about underutilized capacity in the warehouse space uh, being similar to uh, what they're seeing in the transportation space, that there's still uh, a lot to be had uh, on the digital nature of supply chain transformation. That's right. You know, through one lens, it almost seems kind of easy. Like, hey, you know, there's a lot of underutilized capacity. That's a function of supply and demand dynamics. And we've got to do better matching. And uh, boy, as soon as we can do that, uh, everybody's going to be better off, right? We'll, you know, we'll ship fewer empty miles. So it'll be good for carbon. It'll be good for costs, you know, uh, probably even good for consumers. You know, maybe we build more reliability. It seems super basic. It's just really, really hard to do, right? I mean, you know, so many companies have been building towards this for so long. You know, there were some challenges that that Lior keyed in on. Did, did you guys pick up on some of those? I, the, the challenge that kind of resonated with me was the idea of, of in order to build these efficiencies, you have to have visibility into what's out there. And from a freight perspective and a capacity perspective, it's a very territorial industry. Generally, your information is not only proprietary, but it's also your competitive advantage. And so the, the comparison he drew to that of having servers on the cloud with the idea of I'm sharing my network with someone else's network and trying to figure out how to come to a win-win situation, it's, a, it's an interesting take in that in a utopic world, that sounds the absolute way to go. It's going trying to do that in a, an environment today where the wheels are in motion in the bus at the same time is, is a very interesting challenge to address. That's, that's exactly right. I think of it as, you know, okay, we can build a better platform. There's a lot of opportunity to build a better platform than some of the other, um, you know, call it older platforms out there. The reality is that all these operations are running on some of those legacy platforms. 
And it's not enough just to build a new platform. You've got to build it, uh, the platform and the business and get to scale in the context of the reality. There's a ton of systems out there and they just don't talk to each other. And that's kind of the complexity that you have to start with and realize is there. Don't underestimate that, right? And, and then as you build this better platform and scale up this business, it's like, how do you do that given the legacy systems that are already in place, right? And frankly, you know, Jordan, you know, curious your take on this. That's, that's very true in the freight world. It's, it's also just true more broadly across logistics. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think Lior's exact metaphor, I'm going to get it wrong, but building the airplane while you're mid-flight was was absolutely perfect in characterizing that. Right. You think about, you know, legacy ERP systems as an example. There's a lot of new ERP systems that are being built. There's a better way to do it. But the reality is most of the big enterprise companies out there are operating some or part, or in some cases, most of their business on these old systems. And so, you know, hey, yes, they want to digitize, um, even in many cases, kind of know what that means and, and, are, and, and want to make it happen. But there's this, you know, there's this legacy jungle of uh, technology systems that, that you have to navigate. You can't just rip them out and replace them. Yeah, another great point uh, Lior brought up uh, was around driver shortage. And he actually had a really nuanced perspective here. One of the things that stuck out to me is Lior's strong assertion that if we tackle the efficiency problem, then you tackle the driver shortage problem. Right. And I thought that was really an interesting perspective. I've heard uh, Eric Fuller, who was a previous CEO of US Express, they were recently acquired, he gave a talk several times in the last few years around the driver shortage and said, you know, even at the fastest rate of adoption imaginable for automated trucks, you would still have kind of this never ending shortage. But I think, you know, Lior adding this new wrinkle that there is an efficiency gain that can address this problem more than just the simple equation of number of drivers and demand for truckloads. That was just really fascinating. I, I so agree with you. And this isn't a logistics specific comment, but it's actually very similar to power generation. You know, there's a there's math and an argument out there that says, boy, if people and businesses could actually just be more efficient, we wouldn't have to generate uh, much more power. Again, it's kind of this uh, fairly elegant way to shine a light on an opportunity that may not be um, obvious on the surface. I love that. You know, hey, it comes back to better supply, demand, matching, better utilization of the assets we already have. And by the way, these aren't just the physical truck assets. They're actually the people um, that, are, that are driving the freight around. That brings up an interesting segue. I had a recent uh, conversation as well with Chris Reed, who's a director of business development over at Bogdan Delivery. You can look back at the history and see things usually moved in these five and 10 year increments. And it's just not like that anymore. It's quarter to quarter. We have to live in that world where we're going to have to continue to make the investments and do the things that we need to do to see the future through. If you have, you know, an open mind, you're willing to change and you have a diversity with the carriers, the partners that you're working with, uh, you're going to give yourself the best chance. Bogdan has uh, not only a warehouse presence, but also a very strong transportation presence. So they see both sides of the, the supply chain um, push-pull effect. Ten months ago, there wasn't enough drivers. And right now, there's maybe too much drivers for the current demand. But then peak season's right here. 
if you're just shipping from one facility right now, you have one warehouse or one carrier for that matter, you kind of have to grow up. Like that's just not the world anymore. Of course, if you go and you sign the five or 10 year lease, that could be devastating down the road. So being able to have a smaller footprint, so it's not the 200,000 square foot facility, but maybe 10 facilities of 20,000, that, that's the mode to go. And then of course, you know, but being closer to the customer is going to be reducing the transit times and, and the cost. You want to have different carriers. You want to have different strategies in place. And, and the thing is, you, you can't just go and ask someone, hey, uh, I, I need you to help me when I need help but then not give them any. You have to make a strategy where you're going to be able to feed them some. And of course, how you split that up is going to be based off of price and performance and relationship and all of that. Mike, those are some great highlights from your conversation with Chris. I think what really stood out to me is the comment around the driver situation in trucking. There were not enough, and now we swung the pendulum all the way to the other side to being too much. And I think everyone's seeing this in the headlines. And really, that highlights this supply chain bullwhip. But I think what's interesting about that is each piece of the supply chain is in a different place on that bullwhip. You know, whether it's manufacturing, warehousing, or transportation, obviously, transportation is the fastest moving. And we've moved all the way to the other side of the pendulum. And it feels a lot like warehousing and manufacturing are somewhere else in that journey, um, but certainly poised to experience the exact same situation. So just really interesting commentary. But once again, another fascinating discussion, hopefully some useful insight there for our listeners. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that a couple of episodes ago, Matt from Zero One Hundred made the comment that in a survey they had done, I think it was around 2014, where they asked respondents, hey, what do you think about the Uberization of logistics? And that question kind of got laughed out of the room. And here we are actually talking with Lior about literally the Uberization of logistics. So it had to be said. Jordan, as always, great to be with you. It's been a pleasure, Carl, as always. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Yeah, let's keep the conversation going. You've been listening to the Logistics Leadership Podcast presented by Flex. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or join the logistics leadership community, check out this episode's show notes and visit flex.com slash logistics leadership podcast. Keep the conversation going. Email us at leadershippodcast at flex.com. The Logistics Leadership Podcast features original music by Diaphonic. The show's producers are Robert Haskett and Adam Kappel. Here's a quick pro tip. Instead of chasing down the next episode, why not just follow the show and have it appear in your feed automatically? Thanks for joining us.